those cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with Decrom. Good morning, good afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you cats and kittens are. This is Sports Crunch with Decrom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. And last week, we premiered our Women in Sports series, which is dedicated to further promoting and empowering women at all levels of the sports world with my great friend, Romy Bean of CBS Denver. This week, we continue our mission to support our sports sisters by welcoming Courtney Collard to the program. Courtney is a native of Canada who got her master's degree in sports management from Texas A&M University. Giggum, by the way. And she currently works for the Draft Network. It is a pleasure to have you with us, Courtney. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So happy to be on with you. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you for coming on, Courtney. And uh, let's get down to business with uh, our agenda here. And uh, this past year or so, as I'm sure you know, has obviously been historic for women, particularly in sports. In the NFL alone, we saw the first two full-time women coaches to win a Super Bowl in uh, Lori Locust and Moral Javadafar, of course, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And last month, Kelly Klein and Catherine Rach, uh, with the Broncos and Eagles respectively, became the highest level female scouting executives in NFL history. Also, in the NBA, two women in recent weeks, Becky Hammond and Teresa Weatherspoon, were highly considered for two head coaching vacancies. And in Major League Baseball, Kim Ng became the first woman GM in league history as a GM of the Miami Marlins. What will be the next major barrier to be torn down in pro sports in terms of women? Will it be the first woman NBA head coach, first woman NFL GM, first woman NFL offensive or defensive coordinator, or something else? Oh, man. I mean, there's just no stopping the ladies these days. It feels like it's been constant, especially the past few months, that you know, it's like everywhere you turn, there's a, a new um, news story of women that are stepping up into higher and higher roles or being considered for higher roles. And so, I mean, I would love to see a female GM. I think that would be like so awesome. Um, we're definitely making steps in the right direction. So not far off, I'm sure, uh, hopefully within the next couple of years. So I'm sure that won't be the next big barrier to be broken. I think there's others that are probably going to happen sooner. Um, but definitely that is going to be one that I think will be like super exciting for me as a woman. And I'm talking about um, in particular, I'm a GM in any, in any regard is awesome. But in the football space, especially women in football, it's taken a long time to get to, um, you know, where we are now. And it's just awesome to see where we are. So that's going to be a super exciting one, um, but I, who's, there's no telling what's, what, what could happen next because, I mean, I'm just continuing to be surprised and impressed by these women every, every day, and it's awesome to hear all these awesome success stories. It most certainly is, Courtney, and uh, above it all, um, this is occurring at the same time that the United States selected the first female vice president in its history. Yes. Uh, how did you feel about the historic election of Kamala Harris as vice president, regardless of whether you agree with her politics or not? For sure, yeah. And um, I would like to think at least that most people, regardless of where they stand politically, can understand that that's just huge for our, for well, I say our country. I'm not a U.S. <laughs> citizen, but I do live here. And it is huge. I mean, the representation is so important, especially that she's a woman of color is, makes it just all the more amazing and I I hope that even if people don't agree with her politics they can see you know the importance of having a role model like her in um in such a public space and in such a place of power for young girls and, and for women in general it's something to be proud of um it's definitely as I was mentioning about the women in sports in the same aspect it's a step in the right direction 
and just seeing more women in places of power. And I think that women, you know, we, we bring different strengths that make us super powerful in, in ways that is just different from men. Our brains function differently between men and women, and there's not one that's better or worse. We just have different natural strengths. And I think there's such a beauty in, in being able to embrace the strengths of women in, in high levels because they only contribute to the success of organizations and countries and institutions. And so to have that balance is so great. And I was so excited to see Kamala Harris, you know, um, elected into office. And it's exciting to watch for sure. I'm, I'm happy to be alive in this time that I get to see all this stuff happen. It's awesome. It most certainly is. And I can only hope that the majority of my fellow men uh, agree with me and are willing to take their hand off the wheel and allow more women to take control, so to speak. And that's what we're trying to do uh, here on Sports Crutch with this Women in Sports series. And uh, as I alluded to in the intro, you currently work for the Draft Network, which I have said many times is the best year-round NFL draft resource there is. We have interviewed many of your colleagues, including your partner in crime, the good kind of crime, by the way, Paige Demakos earlier this year. What exactly do you do for the Draft Network, and are there any exciting developments going on there this coming season? Oh, my gosh. We are doing so much exciting stuff. Our team is just growing so fast, and uh, it's really exciting to see, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But So I work um, – I kind of do a little bit of everything, so I got connected with Paige earlier on in the year, just at the very beginning, basically, of uh, 2021, and have come on – in terms of assisting her, um, so being an, ex- an executive assistant type of role and helping her with some of the team management and her day-to-day you know, tasks that need to get done because she's just up to her ears and things all the time. So I assist her. Um, but then I also work in our partnerships area, so working with um, brands that are wanting to get into the sports space um, and finding new ways to get involved in, and have creative solutions to get in front of the eyes and ears of sports fans through the draft network. So that's kind of what I work on on a day to day between um, I'm between Paige and assisting her and then also doing some of that creative partnerships type of stuff, which is so much fun. Um, the draft network, what we've got coming up, I mean, we're just coming up with new content and new ideas all the time. We have new series that are uh, coming out on YouTube and podcasts that are, you know, we're evolving a little bit and incorporating a video element, which we haven't done before. So that's super exciting and just adds another level of engagement. Of course, there's always new ways that we're looking to engage our premium members as well. And so we have like Slack channel to kind of really get people's voices heard and have conversation going between our hardcore draft nerds, which I mean, that's like our whole company. We just, we love it so much. So there's so much exciting stuff happening at the draft network. And just, I can't say enough about how awesome it is to be a part of the team and they are growing so fast and our family is getting um, bigger and bigger by the day and, and we love it. It just is so exciting. Wow. Wow, Courtney, you just got me extra pumped for this coming season. Like I said, I've been a big fan of the Draft Network for many years, but the content just keeps on getting better every single year. And uh, this year could be your best yet. It really can. I really believe that. Me too. I hope so. And I have no doubt that it will be. So we're excited. I'm excited, too. Let's go back to recent news uh, for just a moment. Uh, last week, the uh, Washington football team was fined $10 million due to the findings of an investigation into allegations of sexual harassment throughout the club. That said, the attorney who led the investigation, Beth Wilkinson, hasn't released a single page of her report. Not a page. 
and the aforementioned penalty can only be summarized, given Daniel Snyder's immense wealth, as a slap on the wrist. Aside from boycotting the NFL, which is uh, not an option for me personally, what (laughs) can we do to hold the NFL accountable for not caring whatsoever about the physical and emotional safety of its female employees, particularly the Washington football team? It's hard, right? It's hard to feel like powerless in those kind of situations and know that there's people with so much money and power and it it would be a lot, you know, it would be almost impossible to just take it all away, but there needs to be repercussions um, for, for incidents like this and there needs to be a level of accountability. So, I mean, at a club level, I think certainly there needs to be some damage control and um, resources available to, you know, anybody who feels uncomfortable by or was even like, you know, a victim of. And I'm sure that the survivors of any of those instances are being taken care of and given resources, or at least I I would like to think so. Um, But outside of that, I think it's important that those resources that are opened up to the women that are in that club and anyone else who's in that club that feels like they need a space to speak about it or to understand better, you know, how to cope. Um, So that's definitely important. I think in terms of the people who are, you know, perpetrators of this, I don't know what the answer is because you're right. Like, realistically, we're not boycotting the NFL. I wouldn't want to boycott the NFL and most people wouldn't either. And, um, you know, fines are, fines are good, but like you said, it's a slap on the wrist or it's a drop in the bucket for some of these people with tons and tons of money. And so I think the important part is to make sure that there's an obligation to get them better educated and trained and understanding where they've done wrong and the harm that they've caused or, you know, that, um, that we're trying to prevent from happening again. Um, and I think definitely charity and giving back and an expectation of them giving back to the community and being able to better understand the consequences or the repercussions of their actions or their compliance kind of thing or their lack of actions is really important. So whether that's community service, um, where they're around survivors of, of such, um, so they can better understand those experiences or just, or just having conversations with those people would be great. But with that said, you know, it's not on survivors to educate those people. So it's a really sticky place to be in to, to be able to, you know, figure out what the right thing to do is. And I think that's why fines are an easy go-to, but you're right. It's, it's not the most effective because sometimes for some people it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Let's just put the money up for this to go away. So unfortunately I don't have the right answer. My hope is just that the club can move forward and be held to a higher standard and that their, you know, their community members are being taken care of and given the opportunity to feel safe again um, where they are and to feel supported. And so I think as long as that's happening going forward, that's, you know, kind of the, the bare minimum. Um, but the more education that, that they can be held to moving forward should definitely be the standard because um, people need to be aware of, of how impactful that that stuff can be. And, get outside of their own perspective of, oh, now I have to deal with this. Like, well, someone else is now having to deal with this for the rest of their life because you, you know, really affected them. So that's my hope is just that there's education and, and an awareness going forward. I completely agree with what you said. And a lot of that burden falls on the Washington organization itself. But I was talking about what us fans can do. Like, uh, mm-hmm. like for example, if uh, you 
are a fan of a team that's hosting the Washington football team for a game this season. Maybe you uh, organize a little uh, demonstration, take sides of the game, uh, mm-hmm. saying that uh, Daniel Snyder, um, uh, be more accountable, change course, or we're going to do what we can to force uh, the NFL to force you to sell the team. Yeah, I mean, that would be, you know, I think calling for someone to be taken out of that position of power when there's been an abuse of power is is the best thing that can be done, honestly. So, um, you know, I think, yeah, as fans, having your voices be heard, being vocal on social media and not letting that headline fall to the wayside and be forgotten by the time the season rolls around. I know we're all excited for football season and it's easy to just get swept up in the excitement, but um, that's where kind of these instances get to like, you know, tuck themselves into the corner and hide away because they get to hide behind the excitement because people forget it because they're not survivors of it. So I think as fans, keeping vocal about it, continue to ask the questions as media continue to ask the questions, what are they doing differently and demanding some more transparency than we've had is, is one of the best things that we can do because I think holding their feet to the fire, um, is, is what's going to help them to, you know, not have repeat offenses and then also help other teams to see like, oh, we do not want to, we do not want to be dealing with that. So how can we be proactive in making sure that that's not what our organization becomes known for? Um, and then, yeah, I mean, if there continues to be issues or if they're refusing to, you know, satisfy their fan base and their community by making it right, then yeah, I think he should be forced to, to exit his, his place of power because, there's no space for that, um, and it's you know we shouldn't be giving people platforms if they're not willing to own up to mistakes that that they've made. Oh, absolutely, and you brought up another great point concerning the uh, media, and uh, I think uh, what fans could do, and us in the media, whether you're a freelance podcaster or you work full time for a major media outlet, uh, we have to keep telling this story and keep shining a light on this story every week as much as we can to keep people's attention on this we just can't let attention fall by the wayside here we got to make sure people are held accountable and one of the best ways uh the media and fans can do it is to keep talking about these things because we just can't let people stop talking about it and sweep it under the rug because that's how uh, people aren't held accountable absolutely and and unfortunately that's what those people want they want us to stop talking about it and they want it to fade into the black oh it'll go away it'll go away just keep your head down it'll go away right throw money at it and hopefully, you know, everyone forgets, but that's the problem is we, we can't forget. We got to keep it in mind because unfortunately, you know, the survivors of any kind of assault, they, they don't forget. They live with it for the rest of their lives. And so we have that burden to carry to, to try to keep them, you know, get justice for them. Amen, Courtney. And uh, during your experience working in the sports industry thus far, were there times you've ever felt mistreated because you're a woman? I would not say mistreated. And, um, you know, I, I say that uh, survivors, you know, forget or, or don't forget. Um, fortunately, I've never been a part of something that's been so traumatizing, you know, or that stands out that I have, you know, that I can say, oh, my gosh, yeah, I had this happen to me. And I'm very fortunate for that because a lot of people can't say that. But um, I do think that I forget, you know, there's there's instances and comments all the time and, and situations you get put in all the time that you know, that aren't quite right or that, you know, feel a little bit uncomfortable or, you know, you know, wouldn't happen to a male in your position. And so, like I say, like, I, I honestly, it's, 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 it's commonplace to where I have just kind of, I just let it roll off my back and I don't really like hold those grudges and I move on because 
fortunately, like I said, nothing so traumatizing stands out. But um, I would say I have been very fortunate in that I've worked in very supportive environments with people who have been very good to me and um, have always given me the utmost of respect and courtesy and, um, you know, uh, comfort and all of that. So I've been very fortunate in that way. Um, but I would be, you know, I would be lying if I said that you don't notice that people maybe treat you different as a woman in the space or that, you know, people don't take you as seriously off the bat because you're a woman in the space or they try to challenge your note, your, your, um, knowledge a little bit more because you're a woman in the space. So, you know, there's, it's it's not an even playing field i'll say that for sure um but fortunately i haven't had anything that stands out as being super traumatizing or that's really like you know um rocked me um because i've just been fortunate to be in, in environments that have been super positive and uplifting and um yeah i just i'm very fortunate in that way because like i said a lot of people cannot say the same um so i'm lucky for that i'm absolutely glad to hear that you're working in such a wonderful work environment or the most wonderful work environment possible at this time but uh, in order to create such environments a lot of that burden falls on us men what can us men do to be the best possible allies for you and all of our sisters in this field or in any field Oh my gosh, you are just the best for even asking that question. That is what, you know, men in the space need to be asking for sure is just ask how they can be better and just take the criticism, you know, or constructive criticism and don't take it personally, but take it seriously. Um, So I appreciate for asking the question. The thing that I would say to um, any, you know, any man who's like, how can I be a better ally, you know, to to women uh, at work or in my life or whatever is listen to them don't argue with them about their experiences. That's something that happens way too often is, you know, someone says how they feel about something or how they felt in a situation. And it's like an auto defense that comes up from men because they don't want to be lumped in with, you know, other men that are, you know, doing them wrong or anything like that, which I completely understand, but just listen and, you know, be willing to understand or try to understand and, and validate the women that you know in their feelings. Um, and I think opening up opportunity and opening up your eyes and really looking inward and being like, what what do I do differently when there's, you know, when there's a girl in the room? And then how should I, you know, change that? So whether it's, oh, I'll, I'll talk to my guy coworkers about something, but if there's a girl in the room, I'm not, I'm not having that conversation. Like, then maybe you shouldn't be having that conversation in the workplace at all because that's not it clearly it's either not appropriate or it's not inclusive or whatever. So just thinking about those kind of things and really challenging yourself is a great place to start. And it's, it's hard to turn that lens on. I completely understand that, but that would be a great step. And then, like I said, just listen to listen to the women that are, that are around that are in your life, create a safe space for them and tell them that if they ever feel uncomfortable to please be honest about it and then listen to them if they do come up with something and, and just try to be supportive. I mean, I think as, as a woman in, um, in sport and just in the world, I try not to be too accusatory and understand that people just have different experiences. And, you know, if people have done something that's, bothered me it's probably not intentional so i try to give a lot of grace um and if i do call someone out on something i i try to do it in a way that's the least amount of embarrassing and all of those things and just say look i know you probably didn't realize you did this but this is what you did or this is what you said and this is kind of how i took it and maybe don't do that again or think twice you know so 
I think just trying to come to come to those conversations with openness and honesty and a, and a willingness to listen is really important because you don't want to attack someone, you know, or you don't want to like to argue and all that's not effective. So I think just being willing to listen to each other and be and give grace about no one's perfect and we all have different experiences and just, you know, try to be better for for from one day to the next. And that's all you can do. I couldn't agree more, Courtney. Amen to everything you just said. And when we spoke a few weeks back, uh, you mentioned that you are a big basketball fan as well as a Toronto native, as we alluded to in the intro. We are just two years removed from the Raptors winning the NBA title. What did that monumental achievement mean, not just to the city of Toronto, but to all of Canada in general? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, it was huge. I was in Texas at the time. I was doing my master's, so I wasn't able to be home for it. And, I, of course, I wish I could have been because Toronto was just lit all the way up for that. But, I mean, I just think that the Canadian teams – Maybe hockey removed just because, you know, Canada is so synonymous with hockey, but especially in basketball, like they just get underestimated a lot. And like, we don't have an NFL franchise. The CFL is totally a different ball game when you're looking at, you know, sports leagues and everything. Um, we have MLS team, which is great, but it's just like the Raptors and the Blue Jays um, are the teams that probably – Americans or people outside of Canada see the most that represent Canada as a whole because they're also the only the only franchises that are in the whole country, whereas hockey has several Canadian franchises. So um, the Raptors and the Blue Jays kind of carry a lot of weight in terms of representing like all of Canada to a market. Um, you know, that's there's a much larger market for basketball and baseball in, in the U.S. in particular and even outside of the U.S. Um, that and there is hockey, obviously, the hockey market in Canada is totally different. But so I think there was like so much value in the way that the Raptors were able to put Toronto on the map and be like, hello, we are real contenders. This is a real, you know, like we're not just showing up as like the one Canadian team because we have to like we're going for it. And it was awesome for us to get Kawhi Leonard that year and have a major star come to town. Like people love Toronto when they get here. And obviously he didn't stay, which was unfortunate, but it was great to have all of those eyes follow him to Toronto. And I think it was just great in legitimizing Toronto was like, we are a city that has like sports that compete. I mean, we just kicked everybody's butt in a championship. So like, let's go, you know, like you got to pay attention to us. You got to respect us. So it was, it was so awesome. It was really necessary. Of course, the Leafs haven't brought us a championship in over like 50 years. So it was just great to have some excitement in the city. Um, we've had other championships in uh, MLS and in the CFL recently, but it's not to the same extent when you're when you're talking about, you know, the NBA, like the NBA championship was huge. So it was super exciting to watch. I wish I could have been in Toronto for it, but I was nonetheless like so, so pumped about it. I'm sure you were. And speaking of the NBA championship, you currently reside in the Phoenix area. Just how widespread is Suns fever throughout the entire state of Arizona right now compared to Raptors fever in Toronto and throughout Canada a couple years ago? Well, you know what, actually? I mean, aside from the fact that Toronto was really representing the whole country, so it was really different in that you had watch parties across the country for Toronto because, they, like I said, they're the only Canadian franchise in the league. So that's a little bit different in terms of just the, the widespread of the fandom, I guess. But I will say that the feel of... I mean, I'm safe to say I'm a Suns now. My roommate works for them, so and I'm I'm in the city now, and I do love the team. So 
not to the same extent I am a Raptors fan because that's where my loyalty lies as a native, but um, but to be here and be a part of the, the Suns community um, feels so similar to the way that uh, the Toronto community kind of rallied around the finals for them. And uh, I think just the fact that it, it's a little bit, you know, it's a smaller market. It's not LA, it's not Toronto. And it's, it's not a, a franchise that has like a ton of success that's, that's year after year you know, championships or even year after year playoffs, right? So um, the Suns' success, I think, has kind of come out of nowhere and just really surprised the city. But people are so for it. And it's, uh, you know, finals just hit different when it's like a small market, you know? And I think it'll be cool that it's kind of two small markets that are playing each other in these NBA finals because just like people are so passionate about it and it just feels so much closer to home when it feels like it's that little bit of a tighter-knit community. And um, I mean, the... The Valley is rallied, man. They are excited. So it's super cool to be here for that. The Valley has rallied indeed. And what is your prediction for how the 2021 NBA Finals will turn out? Do the Suns win the series? And if they do, in how many games? Or do the Bucks pull off an upset? I think the Suns are going to take it. I feel very good about that. Um, I think it's going to be a Suns in five. A Suns in five. That's my official prediction, and this is the first place, and it may be the only place that I say it, but I think it will be Suns in five. And I did, I did predict Raptors in six for their finals. So maybe I'm onto something here. But I would say it's going to be Suns in five. Um, maybe you are onto something indeed. Suns in five is Courtney's uh, prediction. Uh, <laughs> I am making a prediction with an asterisk personally because it all depends okay. on uh, Giannis Adetokounmpo and his health. Uh, of course. I personally think the Suns uh, will w- win the series, but if Giannis doesn't play, they'll probably win it in five or six. But if Giannis does play, it'll be a six or seven game series. That is my uh, prediction. Ooh, and uh, it would be crazy. A, a game seven is always crazy. That's the pinnacle of sports right there. So that would be pretty crazy. But I'm here for it if that's the case. As long as the Suns win, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And as we speak right now, all NFL training camps will be in full force in just over three weeks. What are you looking forward to the most this NFL season? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm looking forward to, and, and this is uh, kind of a different kind of answer. I guess a lot of people would say the same thing, but this year is just a little bit different. I'm looking forward to a regular season or, or, or a more regular season where there's fans all over the place. I mean, I just think it was a little bit odd last year. Like, you know, not having fans in the stands is, is so different. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like it was all one way or all the other way. It was different city by city. And so I'm just excited to see all of these teams have the opportunity to like play in front of, you know, their fans again. And for fans to have the opportunity to be back. Um, I think, that's what I'm like most excited for is just that little bit of normalcy that we'll have back in terms of having, you know, football look a little more like we're used to having it look, but, um, you know, from a more actual in game perspective, I would say I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, now that I'm working with the draft network, I'm a little bit more tuned in to the stories of the rookies coming in. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing them hit the ground running. I have, by osmosis of Ali Reddig and Paige DeMakos, who you know both of them, um, have been forced into Chicago Bears fandom because I did not have any NFL allegiances prior. And so having them as friends, they have have given me no choice. So I am really excited to see what happens with Justin Fields. I hope to see him start early in the year. Um, 
And I'm just excited to see, you know, the game is evolving so much with these different kinds of quarterbacks. And I'm excited to see how that looks when, you know, all gets all gets off and running. And I'm excited to be able to watch some of these, you know, rookies come in and really like shake things up a little bit. Like Trevor Lawrence, is, it's going to be fun to watch him in the pros. And there's going to be a lot of cool, cool stuff to keep in to keep in mind, I also am really excited to see what the heck happens with Aaron Rodgers. Oh, boy. <laughs> Everyone's waiting with bated breath of what's going to happen with that. So that is something I'm looking forward to just having an answer on. <laughs> Tell me about the Aaron Rodgers situation. Because for me, I'm a Bears fan too, by the way. And I'm okay. a, could it be more excited about Justin Fields? I root okay. for the Bears 99% of Sundays. But there's only one team that I root for them to beat them whenever they play, and they rarely play each other, thank goodness, the Denver Broncos. They're my favorite team, actually. So if Aaron Rodgers leaves Green Bay and joins the Broncos, he simultaneously will benefit my two favorite NFL teams, and I'll be the happiest guy in America. <laughs> that's that's a big win for you. That sounds like an <laughs> ideal situation. I will, for your sake, David, I will be praying that. From here on out, until we have an answer, I'll be praying that he goes to the Broncos. If because that I know that would just make you the happiest guy. Oh, absolutely! That would be totally heaven for me as both a Bears and Broncos fan. Uh, as I said, it's super easy to root for both teams when they rarely play each other. And she is Courtney Collard, ladies and gentlemen of the Draft Network. You can follow her on Twitter at Miss Coco Collard. And uh, before we let you go, Courtney, I want yeah. to hear some of your way too early 2021 NFL predictions, starting with. The 2021 NFL MVP, like uh, we last year Aaron Rodgers won it, the year before uh, Lamar Jackson won it, and Patrick Mahomes won it the year prior. Who will take home N NFL MVP honors in 2021? Oh, man. I mean, there's going to be so many new, you know, new people in the mix, and it's so hard to say. I think um, – I really think that Josh Allen might have a shot at it. Oh, yeah. I really think that Josh Allen is going to take leaps and bounds this year. And I think he's just going to be outstanding. And so I could totally see him, you know, taking, taking that next step and really being like an MVP caliber guy. I will say whether he wins it or not. I mean, there's always, you know, the Tom Brady's and the Patrick Mahomes. That's always like going to be hard, you know, hard to, to fight up against. But if he does, you know, if he does what I think he's capable of this year, he's going to at least be, be a, a top contender. So that's, that's a hot take, but I would love, I, maybe it's wishful thinking. I just love him, but I would love to see him be a, an MVP. And I think he's, I think he's getting there. I would love Way to see too that early, too. But. <laughs> I know, but I would love to see that too. I interviewed Josh Allen at the Senior Bowl uh, in 2018, and uh, he just came across as such the nicest humble kid there is. And uh, I had my doubts about him coming into the NFL, as did most of the draft analysts that you work with and most of the draft analysts, period. We were very yeah. skeptical that he would uh, become the star that he is, but he's proven all of us wrong, and I would love it to death if he continues to prove us wrong year in and year out. Go get him, Josh Allen. Go win that MVP. Make Courtney's yeah. words come true. <laughs> uh, I know. I will be I will be throwing this on Twitter next spring and laughing at everybody if that happens. But I don't know. I just think the Bills like like they're going in the right direction, man. So sure I, and I, I just I feel good about it. So that's that's it. That's my way too early, way so crazy guess.
And how about the 2021 NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year? Offensive Rookie of the Year, and this may be my newfound, uh, you know, Chicago Bears fandom. And, I mean, it would be another QB, but I really do think that Justin Fields has a good crack at it. I think that he is going to be a total star as a rookie. So, Offensive Player of the Year. I think, hope, and pray that it'll be Justin Fields because I hope that he makes kind of that amount of impact for me and for all of my lovely Bears friends. (laughs) And let me give a memo to Chicago Bears head coach Matt Nagy and GM Ryan Pace. If Justin Fields matches Andy Dalton's performance at preseason, start him week one and don't even think about starting Andy Dalton. Please listen, Matt Nagy. Please listen. Do the right thing. Play Fields as soon as he is ready. You play him. And uh, how about the 2021 NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year? Defensive Rookie of the Year. Hmm. Um, this isn't something I've thought about as much. I don't know why I haven't, but... Um, hmm. You know what? And you'll like this answer, too. This is what I think. I think it will be... Um, from your Denver Broncos, I think it will be Patrick Sertain. Patrick Sertain the second. That is a very good choice because uh, he finds himself in a loaded defensive backfield, a loaded defense. It could be a top five unit this year. And uh, he comes from a pro-ready system, played under Nick Saban in Alabama, and gets to play for an elite NFL defensive mind in Vic Fangio, who not too long ago was the Bears defensive coordinator. Totally, yeah. So I think that... I think he's in the right spot. I think he found somewhere he can really come in and just like be that, you know, perfect fit. And I think that's the key is there can be really great players, but they need that fit too. And I think he found it. Um, Our scouts loved him. And I mean, it works for me and it works for you because that would just be cherry on top. If you get the offensive rookie of the year from the Bears and the defensive rookie of the year from the Broncos, it's a good year for Crom. So I would be just thrilled for you. Oh my God, that would be that would be heaven as well. Thank you so much, Courtney. And last <laughs> but not least, your prediction for who will face each other in Super Bowl Fifty Six and who will win Super Bowl Fifty Six. Who will face each other and who will win? Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, you're giving me things I haven't thought about all too much. However, I'm, I really do feel that the Bucks will be back there. Um, their opponent... I, see, I wouldn't be totally surprised if it's a rematch, but that would be pretty crazy. I think if it is a rematch and it's Bucks versus Chiefs, I think the Chiefs might take it because I don't think that that's going to happen twice. Um, but I'm not, I, I'm not sold on that idea, but I'm trying to think who might come from the West. Hmm... How about the Cleveland Browns? How about the Cleveland? You know what? They are so, they're not on my radar and they probably should be. That is a bad, that that might be, that would be pretty crazy. (laughs) 
Yeah, the Cleveland Browns, uh, I was uh, talking uh, about the Browns and all the rosters at the NFL with my uh, good friend Nick Kendall on an episode last month, and he believes the Browns are the best roster to defeat the Chiefs uh, in the uh, AFC based on how they're built as a roster from top to bottom. Okay, well, you know what? I don't want to say you've convinced me, but I'm going to have to go back and listen to that because that's an interesting take. And I just think statistics-wise, I mean, team-wise in my head, I I, I do think that the Chiefs are going to be outstanding again, and the Bucks have returned most of their roster. And Brady's just – I've learned to stop doubting him. I used to fight it, but you just can't – I mean, there's nothing he can't do. So uh, statistically, it would be super crazy if it was a total rematch back-to-back years. Um, so I, I, you know – I have a hard time saying that. So maybe we'll go with yours. You maybe it's the Cleveland Browns versus the Bucks, but if that happens then I'm taking the Bucks. I would take the Bucks there too, Courtney. And Courtney Collard, thank you so much once again. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch, but stay tuned because next week our Women in Sports series and our nonstop NFL coverage continues. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to follow Courtney on Twitter at Miss Coco Collard and on Instagram at Courtney.collard. You can also follow me on Twitter at DCROM59 and Instagram at Sports Crunch with DCROM. For Courtney Collard, this is David Cromwell saying so long and as usual, stay awesome, stay safe, stay sane, and folks, all 32 NFL stadiums will be allowed to be at full capacity this fall, but if you don't want to wear a mask to the game, please get vaccinated if you haven't done so yet. Take care, cats and kittens, and stay cool. (laughs) 